0: For example, the Proceeds of Crime Act that allowed us, yes, that allowed us to take take money off those suspected of being involved in drug dealing. It's precisely for that reason that we introduced the anti-social behaviour legislation, and it's precisely for that reason that we introduced the Criminal Justice Act that allowed us to impose mandatory minimum sentences on people carrying illegal firearms. What those things have in common also, however, is that they were either opposed by the party opposite or they refused to vote for them. So, yes, we will constantly make sure that our human rights legislation does not get in the way of common sense legislation to protect our country. But I have to say to him, on each occasion we have tried to legislate to toughen up the law, the Liberal Democrats have opposed all those measures and he's opposed most of them. (laughs)
1: been telling the Prime Minister about the problems with the Human Rights Act for years. We have been telling him about the problems, he keeps announcing reviews, but nothing ever happens. I asked him about the Act, not a word about the Act. Let me give him another example of government in paralysis. The head of the civil service has said that the Immigration and Nationality Directorate has been performing particularly well. (laughs) Yet the Head of Enforcement and Removals at that directorate says he hasn't got the faintest idea how many people are in Britain illegally. He was asked how many illegal asylum seekers weren't removed, and he said he didn't know. He was asked how many people have been told to leave the country by his own department, and he said he simply couldn't say. Doesn't the Prime Minister agree that after nine years in charge, this is just unacceptable? There are
0: no official estimates of the number of illegal immigrants into the United Kingdom. By its very nature, illegal immigration is difficult to measure and any estimates will be highly speculative. Right. Yes, exactly. Michael Howard, thank you. <laughs> Let me tell them, however, what is now the situation with our asylum system The numbers are down, the number of unfounded claims and people coming into this country since 1997. Since 1997, the numbers of asylum seekers are down. Each of them now is fingerprinted and with identity cards given out to them. And the removals are now three times what they were in 1997. And he's right. It is necessary that we control illegal immigration better. There are two things that we need to do. First of all, we need to introduce the electronic borders, which we've introduced now for some 26 routes. We need to roll that out across the entire country. And secondly, we need identity cards, both for foreign nationals and for British nationals. Now, if we want to track people coming in and out of our country and know the identity of people here, that is what we have to do. And the truth is, he's not prepared to support any of it. And he asked me a moment or two ago, oh, yes, I'm going to go back to this. His spokesman said that there have been 43 criminal justice acts, and not one of them has done anything to help. Let me say what is in those
2: acts.
0: (laughs) Including the Criminal Justice Act that he voted against. The early removal scheme that would allow foreign national prisoners to be deported at the halfway point in their sentence. Tougher sentences for murder, sexual and violent sentence... Crimes. Measures to tackle jury-nobbling, allowing hearsay evidence in court, a five-year minimum custodial sentence for unauthorised possession of firearms, and everything to do with antisocial behaviour. So when we introduce the next load of measures to help deal with this problem, perhaps then he'll
1: support them. You can sum up the Prime Minister's performance in one word. Rattled. If the problem... If the problem is the system he's inherited, rather than the ministers he's put in place, why did he sack his Home Secretary last week? Whether it's deporting dangerous criminals, sorting out the mess of the Human Rights Act, or dealing with illegal immigration, this is a government in paralysis. It's the Prime Minister who made the criminal justice system a top priority, and yet he said this week it is the department which is most distant from what reasonable people want. Why, after four Home Secretaries, 43 pieces of legislation and nine years, should anyone believe that he's the right man to sort it out?
2: Yeah.
1: For
0: the simple reason
1: that, as I've just pointed out to him, the facts
0: on asylum and immigration and the facts on the criminal justice legislation, there are changes that have made a real difference. But yes, I agree, we have to do much more. That's precisely why we need the new measures, such as identity cards, such as border controls, that allow us to do something about it. And if we are comparing records on crime, let me just say to him, under this government, according to the British Crime Survey, overall crime is down. Domestic burglary and vehicle theft are down. Police numbers are at a record high. When he was in the Home Office and when the party opposite was in office, crime doubled. So I don't say that we have got everything right, of course not, we've got to do far more. What I do say is, however, every time the tough measures that he goes out and tells the media want are introduced here, they're opposed by him and his party. And so next time we introduce them, perhaps he'll put his vote where
2: his mouth is. show that this government's policies on tax and benefits are helping to boost the income of poorer households. In my constituency of Worsley, that means up to £40 a week for two out of five pensioners, and up to £50 a week extra for a third of working-age households with children. Although all work on equality is important, would my right hon. Friend agree that this
0: work on reducing household income inequality is one of our most important goals? My my Honourable Friend is right, and it is important, therefore, that we continue with the measures that have seen big rises, I think 25% in real terms in child benefit. The Working Families Tax Credit that, of course, has helped many families um, get into work and make sure that they have a decent living income. And, of course, for pensioners, there are somewhere in the region of 2 million pensioners that have been lifted out of acute hardship. And that's been a combination of the measures to help fuel poverty, but also um, the pension credit. And what is important to realise is that, again, even though there are still too many people in our country living in poverty. the situation is a world away from where it was in. one thousand
2: nine hundred and ninety seven may i associate myself and my honourable and right honourable friends with the expressions of condolence and sympathy for those who have died and been injured in iraq but may i ask the prime minister this question will british forces have been withdrawn from iraq at the time when he leaves office. The,
0: The British forces should remain in Iraq until the job is done. And incidentally, they are there in Iraq, and this is important to emphasise, with full United Nations authority. They've been there for three years with full United Nations authority and with the consent of the first ever democratically elected Iraqi government. They are doing a magnificent job there. We owe them a huge debt of gratitude. That country wants its democracy to work, and that's why it's important they stay until the Iraqi forces are capable of engaging with their own security themselves.
2: And by the time the Prime Minister leaves office, will Guantanamo, which the Attorney General has described as unacceptable, have been closed down? Yes.
1: Well,
0: it, it, may not have, it may not surprise him to know I'm not actually personally responsible for closing uh, Guantanamo. I agree it's an anomaly that should be closed. Um, I have said that all the way along. But I do return to say this to the Right Honourable Gentleman. What is important is to recognise that in Iraq and indeed in Afghanistan, we are fighting a battle against the same forces of terrorism that want to disrupt our way of life here and kill people. This is a global struggle. It is right that Britain stands firm with its allies in engaging in that struggle and defeating the enemies of democracy and freedom.
2: Jim Sheridan. My right hon. Friend may be aware of the recent decision by the law lords to limit the amount of compensation to workers and their families suffering from asbestos-related diseases, a decision that will be devastating for thousands of workers and families throughout the UK. Could I therefore ask if he or the appropriate minister would agree to meet a small delegation of like-minded colleagues to explore what options may be open to them to deal with this outrageous decision? Taken by people who do not
0: live in the real world.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
0: do, I do understand the concern my hon. Friend raises, and I would be very happy to meet him in a delegation to discuss it.
2: We, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As speaker, given that the Prime Minister has decided to bounce the country into new nuclear power stations even before his sham of an energy v- re- review is reported, and there is not yet any solution to the disposal of historic, let alone new, waste. Uh, Are the Scottish communities who figured in the last Nirex report back in the frame as possible nuclear dumps, and will this be his legacy to Scotland? I
0: would simply point out to the hon. Gentleman that obviously we have to dispose of existing nuclear waste in any event, but if we are to address the energy security needs of this country in the future, of the United Kingdom, including Scotland, then we have to be prepared to take the decisions necessary to make sure that we don't end up in a situation where we are entirely dependent on foreign imports of gas. That would not be sensible in my view. And I do not believe that nuclear power is the sole answer. Of course, renewables are important, energy efficiency is important, carbon sequestration is important. All the measures that we are taking will assist us. But I do believe we have to debate very seriously whether we need to replace nuclear power stations to guarantee the future energy needs of this country, because otherwise we would be engaged in a collective dereliction of our duty.
2: Yeah. Robert Flellow. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I understand my right hon. friend is meeting with uh, a delegation from the hospice movement uh, later today. Will my right hon. friend bear in mind the essential and excellent work, the Treetops Hospice, uh, run by... Um, the Donna Louise Trust in my constituency does, and uh, perhaps he could find time within his busy, busy schedule to meet with the representatives that ha- at that hospital,
0: excuse me, at that hospice, uh, preferably in that hospice. Well, uh, first of all, um, I would pay tribute to the work the Treetops Hospice does in my honourable friend's constituency, and secondly to say I do understand entirely the concern there is across the hospice movement about the changes that are happening in relation to funding from the lottery and other issues. I am meeting people from the hospice movement today, and I hope the Government will be in a position to say what we can do
1: to try and meet some of those concerns as soon as possible.
2: David Cameron. Um, In
1: January, I asked the Prime Minister to consider setting interim targets to make sure that we meet the goal of getting treatment to all sufferers of HIV-AIDS by 2010. At the time, the Prime Minister said it was difficult to do this because other countries need to take action as well. But will the Prime Minister confirm that the Government is now supporting the campaign to set interim targets? Now we've got domestic consensus over this issue, can I ask what progress is being made internationally?
0: The whole point is that that it's got to be done on an international basis, as I'm sure he would accept, and therefore... Um, What we are doing, I think the meeting is coming up shortly um, at the United Nations, is to try to agree how we then stage the delivery of as near possible universal access to HIV AIDS treatment um, by, I think it's 2010. And the, the whole purpose of what we're trying to do is make sure that it's not just our money that is going to help deliver that target, but there's a coordinated effort right across the international community. And I have to say, fortunately, I think the auspices for that are reasonably good.
1: David well, I welcome that reply. The point is to try and set an interim target for 2008 to give us a better prospect of hitting the overall target for 2010. Does the Prime Minister agree that one of the real challenges is to help children with HIV? They need access to specialist paediatric drugs. At present, there is little demand for these drugs in the West, but there is a big demand in Africa. Can the Prime Minister tell us what steps he's going to take to talk to the drugs companies to make sure there's wider provision of these vital treatments?
0: I mean, again, what what we're trying to do is to make sure that we we get the right buy-in, obviously, from um, the pharmaceutical and drug companies. And I have to say again, I think that they are are, are very prepared to work with us and try and make sure that the treatments are available as cheaply as possible. But I, I would point out as well that we are putting in over the next few years for AIDS, TB and malaria, somewhere in the region of £1.5 billion. I mean, there's a huge commitment going um, from this country, and and quite rightly too. And if we can can set staging posts for um, universal access by 2010, then of course we will do that. But the important thing is it's done on, on a collective basis. I mean, I have to say I think it's important as well that we don't forget the other two components of helping Africa, decisions that will be taken this year. One is the peacekeeper's... Um, the 20,000 peacekeepers that we need to have trained um, by the end of the year, that will be dramatically important in places like Sudan. Um, and the second thing is the World Trade Organization deal. That development package is of absolutely essential importance for the future of Africa. And the one good thing that is now happening in the international community is that these issues are being looked at together and not in isolation. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Mr Speaker. My Right Honourable Friend's predecessor, Harold Wilson, was a great advocate of this HP source in Aston. This, This company was taken over last year by Heinz, which is now threatening the livelihood of 120 workers in Aston, in Birmingham. Would my Right Honourable Friend give a commitment to this House that he would support all of those workers there in discussions that I'm having with the Heinz directors at the moment, to give them support that they need to make sure that we have the workers retained in this country and keep those manufacturing jobs which we deserve in this area. uh,
0: First of all, I I pay tribute to uh, the Heinz workers my Honourable Friend's constituency um, and in many others in the country and of course I will give any support I can to my Honourable Friend in his efforts to preserve their jobs.
2: Richard Spring. Given the universal opposition
0: Uh, in Suffolk and elsewhere, including from the police authority and the police themselves. Will the Prime Minister now instruct his new Home Secretary to put a stop at once to the uncosted, unwelcome and completely undesirable regionalisation of our police force. There has to be, I'm afraid, a proper process of examination gone through to make sure that we get the most effective police services in our country, and it is generally accepted that it is right that we review the service boundaries for all the reasons that we, we know. And as I have repeated often in this House, the reason we are doing this arises out of an uh, Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary report that said it was necessary to conduct that review. But I know that my right honourable friend will, of course, take account of the representations that are made to him.
1: Hey, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning, the, our right honourable friend, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and my honourable friend, the Member for Ellesmere Port and Neston, are actually at the Vauxhall plant trying to persuade the owners of Vauxhall to make the necessary investment in the company so that we can rebuild the next generation of Vauxhall Motors in Ellesmere Port. Could I ask my right honourable friend to use is good offices to make sure that the Government does everything it can to help that process.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, can I say to uh, my hon. Friend that of course the announcement of the loss of jobs at Ellesmere Porters is, is deeply disappointing and I would commit the Government um, and indeed the North West Regional Development Agency to work with the company and the trade unions to support those facing redundancy. And the key campaign, as he rightly implies of course, is to get the new Astra model built at Ellesmere Port. The Chancellor and Secretary of State for Trade and Industry at Ellesmere Port today. I will personally seek an early opportunity to talk to GM's chief, R- Rick uh, Wagoner to put the case for Ellesmere Port and to offer any UK government assistance that is appropriate. I mean, the workforce there is a magnificent workforce. Um, they do a great job, and I know that they would be well worthy of securing the new Astra model. And I very much hope they do so.
2: Yeah. John Maples. Yeah. Yeah. The Prime Minister says that our forces in Iraq are doing a wonderful job, and of course they are, we all acknowledge that. But the Saddam Hussein regime was overthrown three years ago, and yet the violence is getting worse all the time, even in the south of the country. Our forces are often the target of terrorist attacks, and the very presence of coalition forces is used by terrorists
1: as an excuse for their appalling violence. Wouldn't a a timetable for an orderly withdrawal of
2: coalition forces over, say, the next 12 months force the Iraqi government and Iraqi citizens to come to terms with this problem and take control of their own destiny?
1: Well,
0: I think he, he, he did put his finger on it when he said it was an excuse being used by these terrorist groups. I mean, what is important to, uh, is to understand that the Iraqi government, which I hope will be formed in the next few days, will be, for the first time, a genuine unity government. In other words, it will include as part of a coalition across all the different groups in the country, representatives of the Shia, Sunni and Kurdish people. And if that government is in place, then obviously the whole of Iraq can then go on a more benign path and and escape from its current difficulties. The purpose of both the militia in the south and those people still fighting along with the al-Qaeda people um, in the centre of the country and in the north, their purpose is to stop that democratic government functioning. Now I think we have got to work with the new government once it's formed and of course it's always been our strategy to withdraw when they wish us to do so, when they're capable of handling their security themselves. So we need to sit down with that new government once it's formed and work out how we then ensure that the rest of the build-up of the Iraqi forces takes place so that of course in time we can draw down. That's the very purpose of what we're trying to do. But I think it's important to realise one thing. The purpose of these groups, because they know perfectly well our our desire is not to stay there, our desire is to leave once the job is done. The purpose of these groups is to prevent the country getting to that broad coalition of unity across all those groups so that Iraq can be properly governed. And it's the Iraqi government, in my view, that is the key to determining this timetable, not these terrorist groups.
2: I have to tell my right honourable friend that uh, many of my constituents who hear the
1: clamour and the speculation about his future are concerned about when it is time to move on. They would like to know if and when they will be able to move on and move out of inadequate accommodation into decent, affordable, quality homes in the Bedford area. Does my right honourable friend recognise their concerns? And does he agree that in increasing the availability and quantity of decent homes is one of the key and serious tasks of this Labour government?
0: is, is completely right on that. And it's exam- another example, if I may say so, of the decisions that have to be taken for the long-term future of the country. Because it, it, is, it is really no use people complaining about the affordability of housing in the South if they are then going to say no new homes should be built and there should be no development. Now that development is going to happen in a planned way, but it would be of great assistance, frankly, if the parties opposite would agree that we are going to have to build more homes in the South if we are going to relieve the pressure on housing and allow families, particularly younger families, to get their feet on the first rungs of the housing ladder. And that, together with the measures that encourage brownfield development, the affordable house, the £60,000 house that was launched by my right honourable friend, and the other measures like shared equity. If we put all those together in a proper package, we can, we can deal with this problem. But we have to be prepared to take the tough decision to say that we will need to build homes in the South.
2: Faisley, the Prime Minister will be aware that the Assembly met on Monday. Uh, he may not be aware that at that meeting every member of the Assembly stood for one minute's silence, in memory of the young Bellamina man, Michael McAlvin, who has been grievously murdered and cut off. And Today they are laying his body to rest, and uh, I would suggest to us our thoughts and prayers should be with them. Does he know that there is a strange significance to this particular murder? because those that are charged cross over the religious divide, both the Protestants and the Roman Catholics, which seems to me a very strange thing. And I feel that the Prime Minister needs, by helping the police at this time, the Chief of Police of Vallamena has made a statement that uh, this may change and also Protestants uh, could be attacked in the same way in order to keep back all retaliation and everything would he back the police by giving them the necessary uh, men to do the job which is a very difficult job to do
0: well first of all um, can I endorse what the right hon. gentleman says um, and join with him in sending our condolences to the family of the, the young boy that was murdered and can I also thank him uh, for the very responsible way in which he personally has handled this issue. And I, I think it is a, a very significant thing that there was a minute's silence that stretched right across uh, the community um, in the Assembly. And yes, certainly, I will give the police every support in the work that they do.
2: Mark Durkin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Further to that reply, can I tell the Prime Minister that uh, reading uh, the messages at the McIlveen family home, and at the scene of the attack, one is struck by young people uh, sharing grief and shock, but desperate to share hope. And the sight of so many young people in Celtic and Rangers jerseys, emblazoned with his nickname, has been a great comfort to Michael's family, should it not also be a spur to all politicians and an inspiration to older generations who have tolerated, excused or indulged sectarianism for too long. Yeah.
0: I agree totally with what uh, my honourable friend says. He is absolutely right. And, of course, the very best and most significant thing that could be done to demonstrate that people are working across the communities is if we could get devolved government uh, back up and working again in Northern Ireland with everybody committed to exclusively peaceful and democratic means. And what he is saying is the future of Northern Ireland. Uh, what that appalling murder represents is hopefully the past. Your Will the Prime Minister take this opportunity to reassure his Labour colleagues that it will be he who will lead the Scottish election campaign and lead it from the front next year, that it will be his face, will appear on all the literature and all the posters, that he will take full advantage of his personal popularity to put the case for a new nuclear bill? And can I say to the Prime Minister, if he does that, he will have the overwhelming support
1: of me and my honourable friend?
0: Thank you. Very kind of him to give me that ringing endorsement. Um, I would just say to him that one of the things that I and my colleagues will be pointing out is that I understand it is in the first 100 days of the SNP manifesto for the Scottish Parliament to introduce an independence bill. Is that right? Well, we will certainly be making a very great deal of that between now and the Scottish elections. Order.